Thanks for listening to Inside Octopus. My name is Russell Goldsmith, and in this episode, we are talking all things EVs. We are actually recording on location at Octopus Electric Vehicles offices in Weybridge. For the first time in the series, we're actually filming the podcast too, so at some point you may be able to watch us on the OEV website as well. I'm thrilled to welcome to the show from Octopus Electric Vehicles, their CEO, Fiona Howarth, along with Claire Miller, Director of Technology and Innovation. So welcome to you both. Fiona, let's come to you first. This is the first time we featured your part of the Octopus Group on the podcast. So um, tell us a little bit about OEV. Yeah. Hi, Russell. Well, this is obviously a pleasure to be on the Inside Octopus podcast. So we at Octopus EV try and make it easy and affordable for people to make that switch to electric vehicles. When you look at overall emissions in the UK, almost a quarter of emissions are from transport. And actually a significant portion of them are from our roads. Significant of that is cars. So the more that we can switch our cars into clean vehicles is super important for the climate. In addition to that, it's, it's not that well known, but almost 40,000 people die every year in the UK due to air pollution. So again, this isn't just a long-term thing for the planet. This is a immediate impact that we can make on our roads today by switching out of these fossil fuel vehicles into our electric vehicles so we can make a big difference. And we're quite excited about both of those from a big picture standpoint. So over the last, actually, I've been here nearly six years and over that time, we are, we've been trying to make it as easy as possible across this, this transition. And what's really interesting is that we've got this combination of cars meeting the energy sector. And that's the, the major part of electric cars. That's the key difference that you're going to discover is that how does it work now with a battery and electric power in this vehicle that you're driving? And what else can you do with that battery too when it's sitting on your driveway and you're not driving it? So we've been working through that. And so we do everything from help you discover the cars there's now like nearly 100 models across 30 different manufacturers so it's really bloomed in the last few years when i started this six years ago it was only five (laughs) so it's a completely different world so cars we help you discover the cars we help you get a charge point at home and you can also get a tariff that charges up in the middle of the night for a fraction of the cost and if you don't have a driveway there's the electroverse app And that gives you access to now over 380,000 chargers across Europe. And we bring it all together and make it super simple for people to make that switch. And in addition to that, we've been thinking about how do we then take more value out to the batteries. And I think we might come on to that later. We're lucky to have Claire with us today. I I won't get into that right now. But the other part that we've really focused on is the amazing incentives that we have today. There's a low company car tax rate, which the government has committed to I mean, it's like 2% today, and it will only increase to 5% through to 2028, which is significantly better than anything on the internal combustion engine side. And that also unlocks this thing called salary sacrifice. Salary sacrifice is an employee benefit that you can get through work. It's like cycle to work, but for cars. So it means that you pay out of your gray salary, and you can save 30 to 40% every month on on your monthly car payments. And in fact, it's not just your car, it can be your servicing and maintenance, your insurance. In fact, we roll in your free charger at home and some free miles of electricity, or you get that card if you don't have the driver and get free miles of electricity on that card, all rolled into one. And you're saving 30 to 40% on all of this. And it's, it makes it cheaper than the petrol diesel car on a monthly basis, even though sometimes they're five or 10,000 pounds more expensive up front. So when people see their list price for the EVs, they're thinking, oh, these are really expensive. But actually on salary sacrifice, they're actually much cheaper. And that's before the running costs. What's a little known fact is that if you can charge at home on an intelligent octopus tariff, you're saving something like 85% of your fuel costs than what you'd be spending on petrol and the equivalent car. 
That's over a thousand pounds a year for the average driver in the UK, just by making that switch from a petrol fuel car to an electric car and charging up on a on a you know smart energy tariff uh, from Octopus. So the whole thing, we've been kind of working through these different bits to bring it together, to make it easy. And uh, delighted to say, you know, the last year, the last two years have been really exciting with this salary sacrifice scheme, where we've seen just so much enthusiasm from the businesses out there to help their employees make that switch to EVs, set up these schemes and really help them make that switch to clean transport in those communities as well. That's fantastic. And just taking it back a step in terms of like, as as I mentioned, we're here at your offices. How many people do you have here? I mean, you said you've been here six years. So how much has, you know, the company grow or this part of the business grown in in that time? And and how many people do you have here now? Well, we've done a bunch of different things in in the team. So we started off, you know, thinking about the energy tariffs and those kind of things. And, And a bunch of those things have actually moved into different bits of the energy business now. So there's a whole team that look after energy tariffs that, that doesn't sit with me, but in Octopus EV, where we really focus on this aggregating it together and, and doing the salary sacrifice piece particularly, there's over 220 people now, right. actually. So that's grown from 25 people at the start of 2021, so two years ago, 25 people to 220 in two years. How do you sit in relation to the wider Octopus group? So we sit within Octopus Energy, uh, the Octopus Energy group. I believe there's now like 50 entities, which is pretty mind-blowing. And I think I've been an entrepreneur within this environment where I've been with other amazing entrepreneurs on a similar mission, but they, they've like kind of been ahead of us and they've shown how they can grow a business, build great customer experiences, great customer ex- relationships. So we've been able to borrow and copy actually a lot of the kind of operational setup from Octopus Energy. So the way the teams are set up and they look after customers and they, you know, if you come in as a customer, you'll come into the same team again. So it'll be the same people that you'll interact with each time. Those kind of things that enable us to give an unparalleled service, we've been able to borrow from as we've set up Octopus EV. And also just the kind of mentoring that we've got across the group has been unparalleled. I feel very privileged to be part of such a bigger machine, but yet still have the autonomy to be able to follow our own mission in the transport yeah. space. And is this typical of that octopus culture here? Because obviously we've had a chance to wander around the offices. It's a fantastic environment that you've got. You've got the pool table in the kitchen. There's a table tennis room. You've got these beautiful little octopus. Yeah, yeah. Constantine's is, is everywhere. There's coffee and free crisps. And I mean, is that typical of the culture of octopus or is that unique to you guys? How does, how does that compare? Yeah, do you know what? I think there's... A, a unified kind of common culture around looking after people. So things like people before the problem. So if things go wrong, you look after the person, you make sure they're well, and then you figure out how to solve the problem. And there are other things like, I'm sure you probably covered them in other podcasts around tower creating, dry stone walls, we can cover onto them in a bit. But those cu- cultural pieces are common throughout the Octopus Energy Group. But I do think that we get to play on that within ourselves and obviously we work with cars so we get to test drive cars so every year we have a test drive event for all of our team and last year we had I think 35 different cars and we got the team together and we did a bit of a a debrief but also it's important for everyone to be able to try the cars test them out they get to talk about them but it's also loads of fun (laughs) so we have our own pieces within our culture I think that are specific to the EV space too. Claire, you've been sat patiently there. We should bring you into the podcast. Do you want to tell us just a little bit about your role here? 
Sure. Um, and thank you. And thanks, Russell, for having us. It's really nice to be on. And it's nice to be on together, actually. Mm. It's really nice to like have the two sides of everything. So, yeah, so I uh, have only had just over four years, kind of not quite as long, uh, long in the teeth of just electric vehicles as Fiona. My role over those four years, again, like everybody's who's been there for that, who's been around that long, has grown and changed. So I originally, I don't know, maybe I'll tell the story of how it happened. So, so Fiona and I have known each other a very long time and we're both engineers and we've both worked on lots of different challenges in the energy and kind of tech space over the years. And I was uh, ready to come back to work after having my second child. And we, were, we got chatting, I think, one Christmas, 2018. She said, oh, we've actually got this really exciting project, Power Loop. It's, uh, it's vehicle to grid. It's how do you get energy out of a car battery, put it back onto the grid at times when the grid is actually at the moment really dirty and relying on gas to meet the peak demand. So like at tea time, everyone puts their lights on, puts their cooker on. But we're not really sure like how we're going to do it. We don't really know how we're going to get the cars. We don't know how we're going to get a special charger to make it work between the car and the house. We've got lots of project partners. And in fact, the project itself was part funded by um, Bayes through Innovate UK. And it was a pretty competitive process that Fiona went through with uh, one or two others to, to really kind of sell this vision. Now we need to deliver. And so for me, that was like, you know, like that's that's just grist to my mill, really. I was like, OK, well, I'll come and have a look and see. And that was it, like day one hooked. And we had to build, you know, every piece of that um, ecosystem. And a bit like Fiona was saying, you know, we've kind of grown up as the Octopus Energy Group ecosystem has grown up. Actually, Powerloop has been the kernel for lots of bits of our business, you know, learning how you source cars, how you lease vehicles. Also, you know, bits that have gone into like other bits of the group, like how do you get permission to install a charger and how do you do that charger install? Well, that's part of Octopus Energy Services. You know, there's lots of elements of that project. So that was, I guess, the start of my Octopus journey. Um, and as the 2019 progressed, um, we were talking about what should Octopus Electric Vehicles, kind of what should the big mission be? And Fiona's already spoken about salary sacrifice. So, you know, we could see that was going to be a huge opportunity for salary sacrifice as a scheme to make a comeback. So the bit that Fiona kind of politely avoided is actually that scheme existed, but really didn't make sense when it was an ICE vehicle scheme because the tax got very high. Right. So when the tax rate was dropping to zero percent, we could see an opportunity and a bit, you know, to talk a bit more to that entrepreneurial spirit, the opportunity to go after that gap in the market, knowing that that was our time. But we had a lot of work to do team to build systems to architect you know ways of working to to really design um so i decided that uh, yeah that would be also become part of my life and so together with the rest of the like that early founding team yeah we started to work on how do you like build and design the systems and processes you need to run um, a leasing business so yeah my role has been quite broad and delivering on that innovation side as well as thinking about how do you do the most effective way of running a startup leasing business right. so so yeah the engineering passion is really you know in that vehicle to grid side where you you understand how do you get energy out of the vehicle back onto the grid and how does it feel for a customer and that really plays back to octopus electric vehicles which is we're helping people to you know decarbonize their transport but actually it really revolutionizes how they think about energy in their lives right and so i think we're quite privileged as as part of the group to say well we're the ones that kind of almost we put that vehicle in the heart of someone's life and it really then totally changes how they think about their home energy use where energy comes from how they're using it and uh, and it's really exciting to help people like on that journey to what is going to be our electrified future you've, you've both referenced the salary sacrifice scheme fiona i was just wondering how many businesses are now signed up to that and and yeah. yeah sort of like the number of employees that that might potentially reach you know one of the reasons we really went into that is because it's so compelling and 
actually we've had a, a <laughs> real uptake and nearly well it's well over two and a half thousand businesses in the last okay. two years that have taken that up so they're now offering that out to almost half a million employees wow. so that's been quite a significant up, uptake from those businesses and I think that's super exciting because the quicker that we can offer that out to more and more employees the quicker we can help make those changes on our roads to cleaner air and you know less emissions going back to the piece that Claire was just mentioning around power loop and the kind of inception of power loop in the early days i remember in 2010 i came across this amazingly smart guy when i was working on government policy actually in the energy sector his name was james and on one hand we had these people that were like what we're going to have to do is have all these fossil fuel power stations sitting around idle not generating electricity unless we really need it but they're going to be really expensive but that's going to be there ready for when we don't have as much wind power or solar panel power as we need because at this point in time we're going to have loads of renewable energy but we can't rely on them all the time and so we're going to ask everyone to pay loads of money for these like intermittent fossil fuel generation sites that aren't going to generate very often and this guy james he's like but what we should do is we should put the customer back in control and we should give them dynamic pricing and we should say do you know what it's going to cost you an extra 50 quid if you want to like boil your kettle right now or take a shower right now whatever it might be we should have dynamic pricing so that's so clever so this is like 2010 and i was like what's stopping us being able to do that today and they're like well we don't have smart meters and i was like but they're rolling out so that's going to come and then there's like the tech systems we don't really have. And amazingly, when I met Greg, when he was starting this business, he's like, we're going to start this amazing tech platform in the energy space. And we're going to basically be able to play tunes and have dynamic pricing. And I was like, that's so clever. And the same time when I was with this guy, James, in 2010, talking about this, he was like, but then part of the problem is you don't have a lot of flexible energy. The reality is that you're going to want to eat your tea when you want to eat your tea. You're going to want to take that shower when you take the shower. If you want to straighten your hair, you're going to do it then. You're going to play the Xbox. But there are certain things you don't mind when they go on. So you probably don't mind what time in the middle of the night your dishwasher goes on or what time you wash your clothes as long as you can hang them up shortly afterwards. And then you get cars. And cars you totally don't mind when they charge up, actually, because you really only use a small amount of battery each day. You can just top it up when it's cheapest, when there's the abundant wind power hitting the grid. In fact, you can store it in the car battery, it's battery on wheels, on your driveway, and give it back to the grid so that when people want to eat their tea, and there's no wind power, but you can still use the wind power that you stored earlier in your car battery. And this was so clever, I was like, this is amazing, but when are EVs coming? And the guy showed me the graph, he's like, look, you get renewable energy hitting the grid at the same time as you get EVs hitting our roads. And I was like, this is perfect, <laughs> we need to do this, but you need to like actually create change in the way that the energy system works in terms of how the DNOs work, the local grids work, how the national grid works, how you're able to plug in those kind of car batteries. And also you need to create that market because otherwise people don't do the innovation in creating those mm. chargers. They don't create the innovation in those cars to make the cars enable them to kind of give back to the grid. And so when, we, when I got here and these cars were starting to come of age and they were starting to be able to do this, I was like, well, we should, we should do this. We can prove that there's a market we can prove that customers will change their behaviors that they will let their car batteries be used to support the grid and so we believe that this is now the world's biggest residential vehicle to grid trial that's now actually operating and like claire's worked tirelessly over the last few years through some really tough times because it's been really cutting the ice right it's it's brand new it's like been tough to find the chargers tough to make it all work but has now come through and those cars are giving back to the grid. They are being recognised and 
uh, I feel like I'm stealing your thunder here, but no, they're, no. They're, you know, it's part of the national grid and the national grid balancing mechanism to be able to support the grid at the times it most needs it to be able to give this flexibility, this resource back to the grid. And it's it's really cut ice. It's really kind of shown that it can be done. And the customers on it are fantastic. They are uh, so pro getting behind being able to support the grid and have electric cars, clean electric cars. And it's just this beautiful combination of the coming together of renewable energy on our grid and and electric cars and, and the power it can have together. Maybe this is one for you, Claire, because clearly you guys are doing a very good job. You said how many cars are going through the system. Is the infrastructure there to support it? So in terms of infrastructure, I think we could probably do many podcasts just on infrastructure and it's become quite a a hot topic, I guess. Look, I think it's important to think about, like, first of all, the context, like here we are, it's the very start of 2023, you know, we are right at the, I don't know, the tipping point of this transition, right? So it's important to have that context, which is, as Fiona said, you know, the number of car models available is rising. Interest in EVs is definitely rising. You know, someone the other day uh, messaged me to say, I've just been to the cinema and every advert was for an EV in the whole of the run up to this film. It's absolutely incredible. So it's starting to like be part of that kind of public consciousness at the same time as the vehicles are rolling out infrastructure is starting to roll out in terms of chargers and those different types and power levels of charger are coming at different times in different places and so if you start thinking about it it's this kind of I don't know it's multi-dimensional challenge of okay well where are the vehicles where do people mostly want to charge where do people do journeys okay so how fast should a charger be if you're parked overnight to Fiona's point which is doesn't need to be fast at all because you're asleep so you can you know, leisurely seven kilowatt you know home charger is great um, and that can be on your driveway or maybe coming soon to a street near you right if you're then doing longer journeys well yeah you need the convenience of a fast charger or rapid charger as they called at the point at which you want to stop off and maybe do other stuff right so use the bathroom get some food um, you know stretch your legs so I guess what I would say is that there's a lot of infrastructure out there already. There's a huge ambition to build a lot more. Government are backing that. So, for example, through the Levi Fund, looking at where you put, you know, on-street charging and local authority support. There's another fund looking at, like, rapid charges and how do you put more, like, like of these rapid charges maybe on more local roads okay so not just on the motorways but i think the counterpoint to that right now is almost an acceptance that when you're in the middle of a transition things move at different paces relative to each other and you know sometimes you do get these bottlenecks and you know i think we all saw it over christmas you know one or two days when a lot of ev drivers tried to go to the same place at the same time using the same chargers inevitably led to a very busy day at one sort of set of chargers actually there's a lot of charger infrastructure out there and there's a lot coming so i think my final point in this would be you know if you're listening to this thinking shut up claire for goodness sake i can never get on a charger they're always broken and it's absolutely awful and it's terrible what i'd say is like that's absolutely i absolutely hear you and the great news is that you are a pioneer (laughs) and you are going to be looking back in the next six months year three five years and and as people start really adopting EVs, um, you know, we're not even in the early majority of adopters, right? We're still in the pioneering, like early adopter phase. You're going to see such an abundance of charge points that you're going to, you know, you're going to be looking back and saying it's absolutely incredible those early days when maybe it wasn't 
you know, quite as uh, as abundant as I wanted it to be. So it's a really fascinating period in history. I think I'm grateful so, to be involved so, in this. So right? what you're saying is mm. when I'm driving my Tesla and I see that there's two out of the 12 points at South Mims are free, but by the time I get there, there's a massive queue. That's not going to be the case in well, months that, to come. Do you know, it's such an interesting one. In immediate like observation there about Tesla. So actually Tesla is really interesting as a, as a car manufacturer who for better or for worse, uh, you know, have laid their own track, right? So in order to have EVs, they could see there was a need to to roll out charge infrastructure. They did that in a uh, kind of proprietary way, right? It was a closed infrastructure just for those drivers. But they thought about a lot of other parts of the experience as well, thinking about, for example, you can look on your Tesla screen. So anyone who isn't a Tesla driver, you can look and see which, which charge is available, how many there are, where they are. So I think you have to give credit to Tesla for not just building like the vehicles and bringing those vehicles, you know, Model 3 obviously is like a hugely popular vehicle and very popular in our fleet as well, but actually building ecosystem around it, right? And actually the rest of the world is catching up now, starting to catch up. So your point was about, you know, when I look on my car, it tells me to go to this charger. There's one free, but when I get there, maybe it's busy. I think that's such an interesting observation. Um, and it gives me lots of like ideas and thoughts about actually how can we make it better for customers? And I think thinking about connected car services is really like the next, I guess, you know, innovation like landscape. Mm. And as Octopus, you know, we think about that from a customer perspective above and beyond anything else, which makes it really easy, I think, to, to make good decisions as a business about what should we do and where should we go with products and propositions? Well, like, what would I want as a customer? What do our customers need and want? So actually, to that point, thinking about, well, actually, these cars are connected. Uh, it means they're giving data, okay? They can broadcast data. They can talk about where, where they are physically. They can talk about, like, the state of charge of the battery. They can give all kinds of data signals. So increasingly, we can actually use those data signals to actually build richer and much more valuable experiences. So for example, we talked about the Electroverse. You know, if you think about that route mapping, yeah, if you start to lay in the route that you want to go on with data from your vehicle, like live state of charge, you start to layer in data from the charge points themselves. You start to think about really next level services for customers and building you know, confidence because I think that's another part of it right is having confidence that you are going to be able to do your journey uh, and get to the charges you need to so you can get to the place you need to get to I think that connected car world is coming and it's coming super fast within Octopus because we're building from various different angles those connections to the vehicles and connections to other yeah. services as well there's also a mind shift around how we're going to charge these cars. So when I first got into this, automatically my mind model of how I fill up my car is I go somewhere and I top up my car. I put in some kind of machine, like, you know, a petrol pump, I have been for years, and I fill up and then I drive off again. Actually, though, for the majority of people, they're not going to do that in an electric world. They're going to do that occasionally, maybe on the longer journeys, but for most of the time, they're just not going to do that. And the equivalent is like, that's going to be for longer journeys where you need convenience and you need speed, but it's going to be more expensive is the reality. So rapid charging now is anywhere up to even £1 per kilowatt hour compared to an intelligent octopus if you're charging up at home overnight. It's like 10p per kilowatt hour. So it's, you know, significantly cheaper to be charging at home on those overnight tariffs rather than it is on yeah. those rapid tariffs. So actually, it's not just at home. So a couple of points on the home charging. I think a PwC report a few years ago estimated that 75% of drivers have access to driveways. So that's a significant amount of people. Now, it's only about 65% of homes because people will be thinking that's way too high. Mm. But actually, drivers correlate with driveways. 
know, so you're more likely to have a car if you have a driveway. So actually, 75% of us can probably charge at home. And then other people on top of that can charge at work or at community charging locations. So like maybe down at the local car park, like a community car park, on your like lamppost outside your house, or even on somebody else's driveway. So I'm really excited about some of the innovation we're seeing where, say, there's community chargers where it's like airbnb for charging it's like you can book my driveway come and use my charger and it's much cheaper than say the you know the detour for diesel that you used to have to do or filling up you know detouring for your charge actually it's just in that that driveway Mm. that's in the house a few few doors down so there's all this innovation that's going to be lower cost as well and so it's not actually that we have to replicate all of the public filling stations with charge points and in fact, by the way, there's like 8,000 filling stations in the UK. There's more than 20,000 locations now that you can charge your mm. car publicly. So there's already more locations where you can charge your car publicly than there are filling stations. There might not be as many petrol pumps, but hey, there's only 5% of our cars today are electric. Mm. So we don't need to even replicate the number of like pumps either. And most people are charging at home. So it's, we don't have to replicate the whole filling station overnight. Mm. And then in fact, we don't have to do it at all people won't end up using it that much. And so we might end up with stranded assets in that space. And actually, it wouldn't necessarily make sense for us all to push people to use those rapid chargers because it's not going to be the right thing for the consumer. It's not going to be the, the best thing for your wallet. The best thing will be finding the lower, slower, lower cost, slower charge points. I think also, like playing that back into like the range of vehicles, I think, you know, we're, we're still in a really early stage of how many car makes and models are available. And I feel like... You know, we've seen we've seen almost like that medium to high end where you have cars with the, the bigger batteries that are a bit more expensive and we're starting to see now more like value um for money cars i would call them um which are you know smaller battery for smaller journeys because actually most journeys are short yeah. and like what's the average it's something something like 10 miles yeah, 20, 20, miles, about a 20 day. miles a day in the uk yeah. and like all these batteries are now delivering like 200 mile range so actually, people only have to charge up yeah. like once a week. It's, it, and this is interesting. I, I mean, this is where like this coming together of all these threads of of the business and, and what we've been working on, really. So there's definitely uh, for me a theme coming around like right sizing your vehicle to your life, yeah. which is a lot of people you know, do those short journeys and then occasionally do a long journey. Some will be at the other end where they're doing lots of long journeys all the time and that's cool and, and we have we need to have the right vehicle for the for the right journey like that fits your life but then there's this opportunity for batteries on wheels and I think that's the bit that kind of brings the whole thing full circle which is whenever you have a, an opportunity to plug your vehicle in and make it available to the grid to store energy when renewables are abundant or and or when the grid needs energy and in the future vehicles will broadly be able to export energy back then actually you're getting the like the benefit when you need it for mobility and you're also getting the benefit when you when it's convenient for you at home for your energy and i think that's that's just the, the super exciting thing about octopus and what we're doing with Octopus Electric vehicles is we're enabling both of those things at the same time so fiona we've talked a lot about salary sacrifice i want to focus a little bit more on leasing which is obviously another major part of what you do yeah, and in, in fact, it forms the core basis of the salary sacrifice proposition. So at the start of lockdown, actually, we um, had the opportunity to really set up our own leasing business and get the systems, the processes and everything in place. And what that enables us to do is that we buy the cars, get them financed, and then we can basically rent them to you, rent them to you or rent them to your business. And then they offer it to you on salary sacrifice. 
And that's essentially a bit like a mobile phone contract. And we see this whole technology transition a lot like mobile phones. I don't know if you remember getting your first one. I walked into this mobile phone shop. And it was phones for you, actually, I think, was the one that I went into. They had a selection <laughs> of different technology. And they taught me through like the different charging and that kind of thing for my phone. And also my contract. And the idea was that I could take the phone and I'd pay on a monthly basis. And the technology might change, but it'd be like for two or three years that I might have that contract. And then I'll be able to upgrade when I get the new one. And it's the same kind of idea actually right now. So you can do that with your car and you can essentially take a contract with us for two, three or four years, which is a lease. And then at the end of that, you hand the car back and you get your new one. And actually we're starting to explore that for secondhand cars as well, so that we can open up more affordable leasing as well for people, because some of the cars are a bit more expensive at the moment. And so step by step, we'll provide ways in which you can access different vehicles for different prices. But just taking that commitment of two, three, four years, and we'll be able to make that happen. And also customers really like that because if they're nervous about the technology, they're nervous about the batteries, and they're worried about putting out so much money to say buy that vehicle, we just take that risk for them and make it super easy so they just have like one monthly payment. And so what have you found have been the benefits of setting up the leasing yourselves? Well, one thing in particular is that we've always been, you know, part of the Octopus Energy Group with the phenomenal customer service that the Octopus Energy team have been giving to customers for many years now and building that trust and the relationship with those customers. And actually, for a long time, we were struggling to kind of provide that level of service that you'd expect from Octopus. But actually, having been able to set up our own leasing company, we are now fully in control and we can offer that great service. So now we have a 4.8 Trustpilot rating uh, out of five. And, and actually, you know, I'm super proud that team that we've built over the last couple of years are full of many amazing people that take so much pride in giving a great service to our customers. And whether they're building the tech tools, the kind of you know online experiences that you might have as a customer, or they're the person that you speak to when you call up if you've got a problem, everyone is so proud to be giving the best experience possible. And um, you can tell, I think, that I'm, I, I'm delighted by that. And I, I think it's so much better than I'd ever hoped for. Well, that. you're clearly passionate about uh, it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, they're a wonderful team. They're a wonderful team. Claire, I just want to come back. You mentioned, or you both talked about the Power Loop trial earlier. I want to just st- step back to that because I was keen to just understand a little bit more in terms of how that actually worked. If you can just go into a bit more detail on that at all. So the, the trial itself was about um, understanding from a customer perspective, how could vehicle to grid work? Yes, we've talked a bit about batteries on wheels, accessing the electricity that you've stored in the battery um, at a time when it's abundant and cheap and green, and then being able to give that back to the grid at times when actually at the moment we rely on burning gas. Okay, so there's a very like rapid and, and rising demand between about 4 and 7 p.m. in the UK every day. And that's because people come home, they start using electricity for lighting and cooking, and increasingly we'll use it for heating as well. So we'll, we'll start to get rid of gas boilers and move to um, electrically powered air source heat pumps. So we have this demand that rises in the evening. And at the moment, we have to burn gas to meet that need very fast. And so the trial was about, could you build that, that customer sort of proposition and experience and all of those fundamental pieces of technology, get it to interact with the grid at the right time in a way that that kind of fundamentally kind of worked for the grid, worked for the like octopus, all the elements that, that touch this project, and most importantly, worked for a customer. Because actually, if you look at sort of the next five to 10 years, how are we going to get uh, from the grid that we have right now to the 
like the green, clean grid of the future. And Fiona talked about this, about renewables coming onto the mm. grid. So right now, our grid um, has been, if you look back in history, has been about having lots of uh, coal, actually, coal-burning power stations. And then we, we've done an amazing job at, and I'm saying we, it's nothing to do with me, <laughs> we collectively have moved away from burning coal to a mix of what is on some days like 50% renewables in the UK. So we're doing an amazing job, and that's solar, and that's onshore and offshore wind. So we're doing an amazing job of getting rid of the coal off the grid, but we still have quite a lot of gas that we need to burn to meet, meet those gaps. So the future-looking scenarios around what could our grid look like um, envisages a time when, or an, an, a design, where we will have highly decentralised generation from as much renewable technology as possible, and uh, we will need to have highly decentralised storage for somewhere to put that energy. So again, it goes back to what Fiona was saying about, you know, back to James and in sort of 2010, thinking about a time when you've, you're making lots of energy in a very clean and much cheaper way, and it's much cheaper to make energy uh, via renewables than burning fossil fuels, which I'm sure has been covered before. <laughs> but you have to store it so that you can access it at times when it's not windy and it's not sunny, right? So electric vehicles are a super important part of that for the future. And, uh, and so I always uh, enjoy reflecting back when, when you get asked the question, you know, but EVs are the problem, all the EVs that are going to be, this is crazy, millions of EVs plugging in, the grid will melt. Actually, it's a really good news story. Millions of EVs mean that uh, the grid will have somewhere to store energy when we have super high renewable mix, and it will also be able to support the grid at times when energy is needed, when there are peak demand. Against that backdrop, um, you know, vehicle to grid could form and, and we think will form a really important part of that kind of balancing of the grid when there's high renewables. There's a really interesting yearly uh, kind of document that comes out, a report called uh, from the National Grid called the Future Energy Scenarios document. And it's quite chunky, so 300 odd pages, looking at different scenarios for the future where we have different mixes of renewables, different volumes of EVs, and a variety of different scenarios of how energy demand, energy generation, and different parts of society could interact and what it could look like 2030, 2040, 2050. Vehicle to grid forms an important part of every one of those scenarios. And in some of the most ambitious scenarios, it forms a huge volume of our, our base load flexibility. So like 20 gigawatts, which is, a, which is a huge amount, right? Which is predicated on folks having EVs that can do vehicle to grid, so can operate in this way, and having flexibility providers, so um, companies who can send messages to those vehicles at the right time to get them to charge and discharge in an orchestrated way, actually taking that instruction from a signal from the grid when the grid needs energy or it needs somewhere to store. So actually, I guess for, for us in terms of, you know, what was Powerloop proven and what was the point of it? Well, it's really proving a very important point, which is all of the elements of the system that you need exist. They exist right now. So actually, whilst there are technical challenges around the particular like technology on the vehicle, the particular communications protocol. These are kind of very technical in the weeds, like kind of challenges, but they are uh, they are kind of proven out, and you know that will evolve naturally, and they are completely surmountable with the right time and the right team. And actually, what we need now is the vehicle manufacturers to start bringing vehicle to grid enabled vehicles in volume, because actually the system elements are there. So us, it was so important, um, and you know. From a national and international perspective, we've kind of raised a flag, right, for vehicle to grid. And at Octopus, we concluded the project. We went through a lot of a lot of piloting and a lot of R and D and innovation, which is messy and takes time and doesn't 
doesn't often work, right? It doesn't always work. And it, we had lots of cul-de-sacs and U-turns and having to change things. But the conclusion of the project is that we had 135 customers live on our system and we now have them live on our octopus system and so uh, those customers are every night coming home plugging in their vehicle the car is exporting energy at tea time when the grid needs it because the grid sends a signal back to the platform to say you know we need it now and the cars are then charging up overnight in a seamless and really low impact way so those customers set and forget they tell the app which we built and really simply what time i need my car in the morning and what state of charge I need it to be at so literally how full would you like the battery to be and the system deals with everything for them they can always access their vehicle so if they have an emergency or they need a pint of milk quickly they can still access their vehicle there's absolutely no problem with that and we build in uh, a threshold below which the car won't export energy so you've always got 30% in our system again for those last minute things you know you might need to go and pick somebody up you might need to pop to the shop so what we've really done is conceived of a vehicle to grid experience and service which is highly customer centric but which also services the needs of the grid and i'm yeah we're super proud of it and it's really exciting to be leading the way Um, and we look forward to the next generations of those technologies which again we need those vehicles we need them to come in volume with vehicle to grid enabled on those vehicles because we want as many people as possible to have the opportunity to take part so yeah there you go that's power loop in a nutshell (laughs) fiona just Final thoughts, we've got business owners or individuals listening to this podcast who are thinking of making the switch to EV. What, what's like your final th- words to them? Oh, I mean, I my top tip would be go and drive one. If you haven't yet driven one, go and get behind the wheel of an EV. They are surprisingly amazing. And when we did test drive events, 84% of people are more likely to drive want an EV having driven one the other 16% were already keen no one is less likely to want an EV having driven one they're really great and I mean obviously check out salary sacrifice you know speak to your HR team or your finance team about you know if you can get that set up at work because it is so compelling and it's such a great way to encourage you and and your your colleagues as well to make that switch and access low-cost green clean driving and if listeners uh, want more information where do they go oh yeah sure come and check it out uh, on our page at octopusev.com fantastic um listen thank you so much for uh, taking the time and inviting us uh, to your offices to, you uh, to record yeah, this yeah, um but for now claire miller and uh, fiona howard thank you for being on the podcast um that's actually it for this episode as always if you've got any comments on anything we've discussed uh, today please do get in touch uh, via the website at octopus.energy or via the usual social channels but for now from me russell goldsmith thanks for listening and goodbye